My name is Frank H. I'm a compulsive overeater uh, from Santa Clara, California. And I've got some pictures that can prove that I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, let me first just quickly give you the statistics, then I'll go in and fill in some of the chronology. But I, I first came into OA in August of 1939. Um, <laughs> 79. You can edit. You can edit that out of the tape, correct? Nineteen seventy-nine, um, and I, uh, my top weight before OA was four hundred and thirty pounds. I actually came in at three hundred and eighty pounds. I lost one hundred and eighty pounds in the first year in OA, and I stayed pretty close to goal weight for about eight or nine years. And uh, then I started a cycle of relapse and recovery, relapse and recovery, gaining more weight in the relapses than I lost in the recoveries. And um, that lasted for about 19 years or so. And finally, in 2006, I started my current abstinence. So on June 26th of this year, I celebrated nine years of abstinence. And um, at, on that date, I, oh, during that relapse, I got to a higher top weight than my original top weight. I got to 460 pounds in the, in the 1990s. And, um, and when I started this current abstinence, I was at 400 pounds. And I'm now within my goal rate, weight, weight range um, at the upper end of what I would like to be at, but um, it's, it's fine. So that's the numbers. Um, to go back and fill in, I was raised in a very traditional church, and you know I was an altar boy. You can figure out what church it was. Um, and you know I went to a, 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 a Catholic grade school and a Catholic high school. And it was in the high school that I converted to atheism. I got into science and I could prove that God didn't exist, so you know I didn't need that. That was fine for my parents and my grandparents, but I had my brain and I could just use that to, to live just fine. So um, I converted to atheism and then I went away to college and they had un unlimited seconds in college. I was, I was overweight in high school. Um, actually in eighth grade I got the name of Hippo, which I hated, but um, it was, I wasn't very much overweight, 20 pounds maybe, you know, that was it. And uh, in college, in the freshman year, they had unlimited seconds in the dorm, and I certainly didn't limit my seconds, and I put on about 50 pounds in my freshman year, and then it was up and up from there. I probably graduated from my undergraduate, undergraduate uh, career at about 300 pounds or so, and I went off to California for graduate school, and that's where I got to 430 pounds during graduate school. So I was not doing well in graduate school, and I ended up going into a different career after I got out than what I was studying in graduate school. Um, but that was okay. I, I did well in that career. And um, I was working, and I had to hit a hard bottom in order to come to a program that talked about God. And I also had to do it before the Internet existed. Because if the Internet had existed, I would have been able to look it up and see that it was a religious or spiritual program, and I wouldn't have come here at all. But I had a hard bottom. It was not just on the, the food, but I got into substance abuses to, un, to cover up my unhappiness with my life as, a, as, a, as an obese, morbidly obese man. And, but I struck up a friendship with this woman at work and became more than friends for a while, and then she wanted to end it. And that was unacceptable to me. You know, this was the only woman in the world for me. Nobody else would ever love me. And so I, um, I, looked, I looked around for some help. I, um, I called the local medical clinic and they said that a therapist had been in to give a talk about weight loss. So I called him and he said that he would take me on as a client, but that I had to go to Overeaters Anonymous meetings simultaneously. 
Now, there was no internet, so I just looked in the phone book for Overeaters Anonymous. I called the number. They told me where a meeting was that I could get to. And um, it sounded like it was going to be cheaper than the therapist, so I didn't go back to the therapist, but I went to that first OA meeting. So I went to that first OA meeting, and luckily it was a very small meeting, about three people, and they let me cross-talk and ask, how can an atheist work this program? And they reassured me that I didn't have to believe in any kind of a particular god in this program. Um, It just had to be a power greater than myself, and I could use the group as the higher power, they said. So somebody at that meeting loaned me the AA Big Book and said, read the chapter We Agnostics, that might help you. So I took the book home, read that chapter, then I was convinced this program was not for me, because the only message I got from that chapter was, if you stick with us, we'll convert you. And I didn't want to be converted. But I had to go back to that same meeting the next week to return the book that I had borrowed. If they had given it to me as a gift, I probably wouldn't be here today. But I went back to return the book, and that person wasn't there, but I talked to the other people there, and I was a little more willing to believe them when I said it, they said I didn't need to believe in a God. And those first two meetings were at noon on Wednesdays. On that same se- the second Wednesday, I went to my third OA meeting, which was a larger meeting down in San Jose. And there I got the recovery, the, the hope that I needed, because a man stood up there and said he'd lost over 100 pounds and kept it off for years. And I didn't think it was possible. And this was a thin man. You know, he wasn't just still portly or anything. He was thin. So, you know, the hope came in there. Because previously I thought I could lose part of the weight or half of the weight or something. That would be good, you know. But I I saw evidence that you could get all the way down to a normal body size and and keep it off for years. So I... um, I plunged into the program, and I got a, a steps. I'm sorry, I got a food sponsor. I did not get a step sponsor because the steps had the word God in them, so I avoided the steps for about six months. Finally, a guy volunteered to be my step sponsor, and he had been cut out of the same mold I had been cut out of. He came into the program as an atheist. He was, had multiple addictions. He um, had over 100 pounds to lose when he came into the program, and so. With his help, I first I easily got through the first step. I admitted I was powerless over food. You know, I, I couldn't I couldn't not eat the whole tray of whatever it was that I made that was supposed to last for several days. Um, I couldn't not stop at two fast food restaurants for lunch. You know, that kind of a thing. So I was powerless over food. And what he got me to do on the second step was first of all to give up the debate. You know, my little proof that God didn't exist. What good did that do me in my life to have that little proof? Well, it didn't do me any good at all. Whereas if I had come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, being restored to sanity could do something very good for me. So I, I gave up the debate. And then he got me to just act as if and to pray, even though I didn't think there was anything out there to pray to. And so I started with the serenity prayer, and I almost always got serenity because that was almost always the thing that I needed. I almost, was always trying to change things that I couldn't change. So the prayer was working, and so I was willing to to act as if and keep going like that, and to do a search for a higher power that I could that I could live with. And at first, I did use the meetings as a higher power, but you know, there's, it's kind of hard to take them with you out there in the world. You know, they're they're fine here, but uh, then I got to go out in the world and live life. And um, I ended up developing a higher power, which I've basically kept to this day, with more elaborations on it, but. Um, it's a higher self or the God within, or, you know, if you're a Christian, you could say the Christ within or whatever. Um, and if you look at the, the, both the OA and the AA literature, a lot of them talk about intuition being our conduit to our higher power. 
So I basically turn intuition into my higher power. It's the intuition that connects to that higher self within me that knows the right way to live life, that knows the right amount of food to eat. Um, that's, that's the higher power that I use then and I continue to use now. So, um, you know, I plunged into the program. I, I lost 180 pounds in the first year in the program. I got down to my goal weight and, um, you know, I was very successful. I was asked to speak at a lot of meetings. I was a uh, chairperson of the inner group. I was the World Service Business Conference delegate uh, back when that was down here in L.A. And um, I knew the members of the Board of Trustees of Overeaters Anonymous Incorporated personally, and my ego was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I wasn't really working a spiritual program. I was kind of going to meetings, um, you know, doing things like that. I went through a couple of different sponsors. Some of them moved away. And I happened to be in between sponsors at one point. And I had my first binge. And at that point, my abstinence had been to, um, if I was in a buffet line, a buffet line or you know, a salad bar, was to go through one time. Now, the plate could be close to avalanching, but if I went through one time, I was, ab- I was abstinent. So this time, I went through the line three times. Now, the second and third plates weren't as big as the first plate, but it was definitely three is not equal to one. I could figure that out. <laughs> so um, I broke my abstinence. And I, didn't, I couldn't tell anybody about it because I had all these service positions that had abstinence requirements. So I kept it secret. And then a few weeks later, I broke it again. And um, you know, after about uh, a month of that, I had to admit that I was no longer absent because I'd gained some weight in a month. And um, so I, I gave up my service positions just before the next World Service Business Conference that I wanted to go to. And um, so that was the beginning of my long relapse recovery, relapse recovery period. Um, and thank God it wasn't all relapse because I'd be dead right now. I mean, I'd be one of those 600 pounders or, or whatever. Um, there wouldn't be any limit to how high I could, I could eat my weight. Um, and it, you know, it would be like six months of abstinence and then six months of relapse and six months of abstinence and six months of relapse back and forth. The only thing I did right during that whole period is I never stopped going to OA. I knew that this was the answer and, and this is where I needed to be in order to recover, but I just somehow wasn't willing or wasn't ready or wasn't um, surrendering. You know, um, one of the, uh, one of the, the um, we have a slogan, one day at a time. Well, I was working that program, but I was just using the wrong day. It was tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow was the day that I was going to start my abstinence. Tomorrow was the day I was going to clean up my apartment. Tomorrow was the day you know, I was going to get a girlfriend or a better job or whatever it was going to be. It was going to be tomorrow. I never did it for today. So, um, so you know, there's not, not much to say about the relapse recovery. It was miserable, and, you know, I... I, like I said, I got to a, a new top weight of 460 pounds. And at that point, I was really pretty despairing. I think I actually stopped going to OA for a couple of months there because it just you know, wasn't working. Um, but there was no other alternative. But when I was in the relapse periods, I would go to OA maybe two or three times a month. When I was in the recovery periods, I'd go two or three times a week. And there's definitely a correlation with how often I go to OA and my level of recovery. So um, that will be apparent later in my story here. So um, I spent most of that relapse time probably in the range of 350 to 400. That was kind of my home range of weight. I would get up to 400 and get disgusted and get abstinent and get down to 350 and thought I had it made and you know I could coast for a while and get back up to 400. And, and um, so that, that's kind of the area that I spent most of my time in. 
But you can see in the pictures that are going around, I, there's some in there at my top weight that you can see. So I did get married and had a daughter and, um, you know, life was going pretty well except for my weight. And um, I didn't take back the other substances that I'd given up, um, you know, that, that many years ago. So I've got like 35 years on those substances. But um, I was lucky enough to be able to retire young. I retired in the year 2000. And... Um, and I was going to really work this program and really get my abstinence. And if you noticed, my, re my abstinence date was 2006. So there were six more years of retirement where I didn't have anything else to do and I still couldn't get it to stick. You know, again, I'd go through six months of abstinence, six months of recovery, of, of, um, of binging. So finally, I think the only thing I can say in 2006 is that I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, there's nothing else to say for it. One of the things in, you know, when I was in the first period of my recovery, I went to all kinds of conventions and retreats and, you know, the, the, you know everything I could go to. I would go to the Region 2 Convention, the World Service, Business, the World Service Business Conference, the World Service Convention, retreats. During my long period of relapse and recovery, I didn't go to any of those. So in 2006, on the Monday before the Region 2 Convention, which was going to be in Oakland that year, so it was nearby, on that Monday, I decided I was going to go to the convention and it would be good to have five days of abstinence before I went there. So I started on that Monday morning. You know, that was my, the usual date that I did start things. And I um, went to a meeting a day for those five days, and I was abstinent when I got to the convention. And then at the convention, I saw all these people that I used to see years ago that, you know, they kept going to the conventions that I had stopped going to. And, you know, a lot of them were in recovery. Some of them were not in recovery. Some of them were in relapse, but they were still going to the convention. So I went to all the meetings I could at the convention there, and I heard a lot of strength and recovery. And the, the five days with five meetings worked so well, I decided to do 90 meetings in 90 days. So I started that, and I, that was working so well. And since I was retired, it was easy to get to meetings. Um, I decided to, to keep up a meeting a day, and I actually did a meeting a day for about two or three years um, of going to basically a meeting a day um, at the beginning of my recovery here. And then I cut it back to, you know, five meetings a week. And, and I'm now down to, I think, my minimum weekly requirement of about three meetings a week. Um, I'd probably be doing better if I went to more than three meetings a week, but that's what I've been doing these days. So, um, so that abstinence started, like I said, June 26th of 2006. And, um, and I want to talk a little bit about food, my food plan. I, I have an unusual food plan for OA. I count calories. And a lot of people that I hear in OA say they can't count calories anymore because that's a diet. And for me, the difference between a diet and abstinence is that a diet is when I am controlling the food. If I'm in charge of the food, then I'm on a diet. And if I've taken that first step and admitted that I'm a compulsive overeater and that I can't control the food, that's doomed to failure. And that's why diets are doomed to failure for me. I can't control the food. Whereas if I've really taken that first step, and surrendered that I am powerless and surrendered my, my, my food plan to God to help, have God help me, have my higher power help me, that's when I can get the recovery in this program. And that's, that's when counting calories is not a, a diet anymore. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an abstinence. And um, the reason I do the counting calories is because I was a quantity eater. And it didn't have to be the high-calorie dessert items. It would be quantities of you know, meat, and, meat and potatoes, things like that. Um, so by counting calories, that limits the quantity I can eat. And in fact, 
it, I don't I don't actually disallow any particular food group or you know dessert items even, but they have a lot more calories in them, so I can't eat as much if I eat those things. So that's why that's another thing that helps me to do. It helps me to limit the intake of, of dessert type items because um, I can eat more meat and potatoes if I stick to that. So um, so that's what my food plan is. The other thing I do is I weigh myself every day, which is not something that most people in OA do. And I see the two things as, you know, kind of weighing my food for my calorie count and weighing my body are, are spot checks on each other. You know, if I've been getting a little liberal with the weighing, you know, I go through periods where I eyeball it instead of weighing it. And if my scale is starting to go up, then that's the indication that um, I need to go back to weighing the food again. And during these past nine years, I haven't done it perfectly, counting calories for the whole nine years. I've always done it in consultation with my uh, sponsor, but I've, I've changed it sometimes. Well, I'll, I'll just estimate my calories. I'll write down the food that I'm eating, and, then, and I'll estimate the calories. For the whole nine years, I've basically been sending an email a day to my sponsor at the end of the day, which was my food, the food that I ate, and the calories that I ate all totaled up. And then for periods, I would just put down the foods. I wouldn't even estimate the calories. And then if the weight was going up a little bit there, then I'd get back to being more rigorous with weighing and measuring. Sometimes I would just estimate the calories. And, um, and right now I'm in a period where I mostly weigh and measure my food as I, as I go about through the day. So that's, that's, that's been kind of morphing at, with time um, over these past nine years. But it's basically the same food plan. So... You know, the thing is, if, if I admitted that I'm powerless over food, how is it that I can not compulsively overeat? And the big book gives the answer to that, Appendix 2. It's, it's a spiritual awakening is the way that that happens. And it, in fact, the 12th step says it. It says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So the result of the steps is a spiritual awakening. The result of the steps is not abstinence. It's not weight loss. It's a spiritual awakening is the only result that you get from working these 12 steps. And it's that spiritual awakening which allows the abstinence, allows, allows the weight loss, allows the, the removal of some, of some of my character defects. Um, so, you know, that's, the spiritual awakening is what this whole program is about. Um, and, you know, the tools of the program are great, but they aren't what gives you the spiritual awakening. It's the 12 steps of the program that gives you the spiritual awakening. Um, what else can I say about the tools? Um, I, I, oh, I've, I've said, I've heard, I've heard it said, and I agree with this, is that I used to use, instead of tools, I used to use weapons. <laughs> and the other thing I've heard it said about the tools is that thinking is not one of the tools. Thinking is the problem. It's not this tool solution. You know, I've got these degrees. That didn't help me at all with this disease. You know, um, it, it has no help at all for that. You know, the, 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 the disease is using the same brain that I'm using. So, you know, I can't outsmart the disease. I, I can't do it with thinking. So the only solution is a spiritual awakening. And Appendix 2 of the big book gives two different definitions of a spiritual awakening. The first one says that it's the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism or compulsive overeating. So it's a personality change. And the second one says that it's a profound alteration on our, in our reaction to life. And the biggest alteration I would need is to not react to life, because that's what I normally do. It's normally I react. You say something, I react. Something happens on the freeway, I react. Um, so, you know, it's, it's altering that kind of um, automatic reaction that I would by default do is, is what the spiritual awakening is for me. So... Um, 
And the, and the spiritual awakening comes from working the 12 steps. You know, the first step is surrendering. It's, you know, surrendering that I can't think my way out of this disease. I cannot do it. I can't, you know, I can't come up with any magic food plan that's going to do it. The food plan isn't going to do it. The tools aren't going to do it. Um, I have to just completely surrender that I am powerless over food. And then the second step is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. You know, being a scientist, I would wish that that, chair, that uh, step was written as gathered evidence that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And that's what I consider myself to have been doing here. I've been gathering evidence by working the 12 steps, by praying, by meditating. I'm gathering more and more evidence that uh, a higher power can restore me to sanity. So uh, that's what I've been doing for this whole 30, 35 years in the program. So, um, and then the third step is to turn our will and life over the care of that higher power. And, you know, that's, the, for me, the higher power is the higher self within. It's, it's, it's not the Frank that's standing here talking to you. That's the thing I have to make absolutely clear. The Frank that's standing here talking to you, this is the Frank that's the compulsive reader. This is the Frank whose life is unmanageable. And there is a higher self within me that knows how to live life. It knows how to eat abstinently. It knows how to not react to people, places, and things. And it's that higher self within me is the part that I need to sur- surrender my will and my life over to. And, you know, the will and life, will is, is my thoughts and life is my actions. So it's, it's just my thoughts and my actions. That's all I have to surrender, you know, it's over to the higher power. That's all that's required. And then it goes on to, you know, the fourth and fifth step where we um, take an inventory of what we've done in the past and, um, and become willing to make amends for them all um, in the eighth and ninth step. But, you know, the, the, um, the thing about resentments is that resentments are like taking poison and hoping it kills the other person. Um, and uh, the other thing about resentment, the, the cure for resentments is forgiveness. And the, the wisdom saying that I like best about forgiveness is that forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. As long as I'm wishing and hoping that I could change that past event, you know, if that person hadn't said that to me, if that girl hadn't rejected me, if whatever, you know, whatever it is that I've got a resentment about, as long as I'm hoping that I could change that somehow, that's what I'm going to hold on to the resentment. That's where I'm going to go through life, trying to figure out how I can get back at that person or, you know, how to correct it or whatever it is. And, and to the extent that I'm trying to change the past like that, I'm, you know, I'm doomed to failure. And that's where the, the, the resentment comes from. So, um, so forgiveness is what it's all about. And, um, you know, my, my dog taught me a great lesson in forgiveness. Well, here, let me, let me give you a different story, story first. Suppose that two of your best friends come and pick you up and they take you in, your, in their car over to this, this building. They take you into the building and into the small room and then a, a stranger comes in, your two friends hold you down while the stranger tortures you. And then after about five minutes of torture, they let you go. What, what's your reaction going to be to that? My reaction is going to be, those are my ex-friends now. You know, I'm not going to talk to them again. How dare they do this to me? Blah, 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 blah. Well, exactly that same thing happened with our dog. He, he had to go and have uh, anal glands expressed at the vet. So my wife and I took him to the vet. We held him down on the table. The, the doctor tortured him for, it seemed like five minutes. It was probably one minute, but it was a torture for me to hold this dog down. They had him squirming and yelping and trying to get away, and it was how obviously painful it was. As soon as the doctor stopped, he was the same loving dog he was before. He wasn't trying to bite us. He wasn't trying to get back at us. He wasn't holding a resentment against us. He, he loved us and was just as happy to be with us as he ever was before. And so 
that, that's, a, that's a, an example of forgiveness and of letting go of resentment. My dog instantly let go of any resentment that he had about that situation. Whereas I would have held on to that for a long time afterwards. So, um, and that ability to let go of those resentments, those are all a gift from the higher power. That, that's where it comes from. It can't come from me because I'm the one that holds on to it. I'm as powerless over my resentments as I am over my, my compulsive overeating. So I need to ask for a higher power's help there. Um, let's see, what's the format? Okay, so got 15 more minutes. That's great. 20 more minutes. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, 9.15. Oh, so it is 9.15. So I guess that's supposed to be it. See, let me see if there was something else I wanted to say before I stop. I guess not. Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader leader are my own and not those of Arita Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. We are being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. And uh, we're open for questions for 15 minutes. Yes. Well, you know, I really did start with just using the group as my higher power. That was the first higher power I, I had. Um, and I, um, probably within about a year or so, you know, when, once I was working with the sponsor and uh, giving up the debate and uh, acting as if, so I was acting as if for a while there while still using the group, I did kind of come up with this, uh, the idea of the higher self you know, they they talk, they talk about the lowercase self and the uppercase self. So the lowercase self is me, the ego, Frank, and the highercase self is the higher self within. Um, you know, that was a popular thing back in that time in the early, in the early 80s. And um, so I kind of went on a little spiritual quest and uh, was investigating a couple of churches, and I actually found a church that was very compatible with that. I mean, they're ostensibly a Christian church, but they talk about the Christ within and the higher, the higher, the God within is what is the concept that they have. And there's no dogma that you have to believe about it. Um, you know, you don't have to believe that there's a that anyone died for your sins or anything like that. So that's the church that I continue to go to now for the past 33 years, something like that, 32 years. And um, so I do go to church, but I really consider myself to be a spiritual atheist is what I really kind of consider myself to be, because I don't the my higher power doesn't have any of the classical. Uh, attributes of a god. It didn't create the universe. It's not up there going to judge me. It's not, uh, you know, doing any of those things. The only thing it's there for is to really to help me. And it's the higher self within me that it doesn't have any goal in life except to help me live a, a, a good life. And so that's the higher self that I've used now for all that time. Um, I have gone, uh, especially during these past nine years, the thing that was different for these past nine years compared to the first eight years in the program I was not very spiritual in those first eight years. I have been doing, working my butt off to be as spiritual as I can in, these, in this period of time here. Um, during all those years in the program, I, you know, I went to meditation retreats occasionally, and I'd try to meditate, and I'd meditate for a week or a month or two months or something, and then I'd give it up. But I've been meditating now for um, five or six years, and like you know, 90% of the days in that time, I've got an app on my phone that keeps track of it. And I've been meditating in 90% of the days, and I think I'm currently on a streak of about two and a half years without missing a day of, abstin- a day of meditation. 
um, nine years without missing an abstinence, but um, two and a half years of meditating every day. And my meditation times have been increasing too. I used to do 15 minutes a day was typically it, and now I'm doing you know an hour of meditation a day. And um, I pray, I, I like short little prayers. I'm not good for long prayers. I do like the serenity prayer. I do like the third step prayer. But I also like short prayers like um, more God, less Frank. Because that's what I need in my life. I need more of God's will, God's grace in my life, less of Frank's selfishness and self-centeredness in my life. You know, I, I do subscribe to the big book um, as our program of recovery. And it says that the selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our problems. And that's, I'm convinced of that too. And so I need a higher, a higher self to help me let go of that selfishness and self-centeredness. So more God, less Frank, or uh, just relax and trust is another short prayer that I like. Um, just relax that, you know, I don't have to change anything. I don't have to do anything and just trust that everything's going to work out the way it's going to work out. Um, and there's nothing I have to do about it. So um, what else can I say about my spiritual program? And then I've done some outside spiritual things, too, that have been helpful, too. So, you know, I can't talk about here because it's not part of the 12 steps. So, you know, spiritual, spiritual recovery is what it's all about. I mean, it's a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience is where the change comes from that allows abstinence. Yes? So what does that spiritual awakening look like to you? Well, you know, the, the first definition of it in the, in the big book is that it's the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating. So... You know, any day that I'm abstinent is a spiritual awakening because that's a day that I didn't compulsively overeat, overeat, which is what I would have done without the spiritual awakening. So, and any time that I don't react to life the way that I used to is another example of a spiritual awakening. But, um, you know, beyond, beyond the, that level there, you know, it's, the, it's, in, it's in the... Um, Meditation is where, you know, it talks about it in, in our literature that you can get in touch with your higher power through intuition during the meditation time. And that's where I get a lot of my contact with my higher power at that time. And I can really, you know, with all this meditation I've been doing, I'm, I'm much better at letting the mind quiet down. It doesn't shut off, you know, even after a, all this time and a year of an hour of meditation. I'm not with no thoughts for an hour. I guarantee you there's lots of thoughts going on in that hour. But there's less thoughts going on in that hour than when I'm out and about in, in, in life. And I have more of ability to contact that higher power, to feel the, the grace. And, um, you know, I do a kind of a meditation, my favorite meditation. I do a number of different ones, but my favorite is a body scan meditation. And it just gets me more in touch with the body and less in touch with the head running around and around. Um, and, you know, the body is something I totally ignored. Well, at 400 pounds, I only existed from here up. You know, I didn't look in any mirror. I didn't want to look down. Um, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a body at all. I was just a head. So getting in touch with the body is an important part of my recovery. Yes? Well, um, when I'm in recovery, it's much better. When I'm not in recovery, it's much worse. Um, and, you know, my wife has stuck through me with thick and thin, literally. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to her for that. Um, and, you know, my daughter is... I'm actually down here because my daughter is a student at Occidental College. I'm visiting, helping her move uh, from one place to another right now. So... Um, the relationship has been wonderful when I'm in recovery and uh, not so wonderful when I'm not. You know, when the selfishness and self-centeredness rears its head, you know, it rears it in relationships as well as it does in, 
in food, and um, and that's not a pretty sight. So, um, so yeah, it's had its ups and downs, and, and I'm just grateful for them. Thanks. Yes. Uh, just kind of a two-part question. You, you qualified. <coughs> you qualified as 35 years old. Right. And then you said you had a relapse. Were you still going to be during this nine years? It was 19 years of. Nine years of during the period when you started relapsing. I I've never stopped going to meetings um, during the whole 35 years. I, I've probably gone to at least one meeting a month in the entire 35 years there. So, uh, but during the periods when I was relapsing, especially when I was relapsing the worst, that's when I wouldn't go very often. I'd go maybe once or two or three times a month. I'd had a, a Saturday morning meeting was my standard meeting and um, my home meeting. And that would be the, the only one I'd go to and then I'd miss some Saturdays. So that's, that's how I'd get down to two times a month if I missed two Saturdays in a month. So that's the relapse periods. When I was in recovery, I'd go to a lot more meetings. I'd go to two, three, four, five, you know, up to seven meetings a week um, in, the, in recovery periods. And during that 19 years, it was relapse, recovery, relapse, and recovery back and forth. So, um, uh, like I said, I think there might have been a two-month or three-month period where I didn't go at all, but that was it in terms of the 30, 33 years, 35 years. Yes. You have the follow-on? Yeah, no, I just, I, I just want to say you're quite an inspiration because I've been program for as far as you a fair amount of time and it's the cliches about keep coming back is the reason I asked that because it's, it's I mean it's, I've had a similar experience yeah I mean to me keep coming back was vitally important because if I hadn't kept coming back I would be dead right now I mean uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I'd be dead right now I would have gotten to those 600 pounds and you know who, knew, who knows you know by the way at, at that top weight I had sleep apnea, I had uh, severe diabetes, my A1C was 11, was my highest A1C. Uh, you know, I've got some neuropathy in my feet from the diabetes, um, high, high blood pressure, taking all kinds of medications for all that. Currently, I don't need the CPAP machine for my sleep apnea, the sleep apnea is gone, my diabetes medications are all gone, my high blood pressure is all gone. Um, so, you know, I've, I've got a much longer life in front of me now than I had before. Yes. Uh, which uh, tool is most effective for you, and which one is very difficult? Well, the 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 what I've heard is that the the tool that you're not using is the one that's not working. <laughs> so, and and there are a lot of tools that I don't use very much. I mean, I I don't I don't use the telephone. I'm grateful for having sponsees because they call me. I do, I do call my sponsor three times a week. He's not real local to me in, in my area. We get together um, as often as we can. But I have a three times a week phone call to him, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8.30 in the morning. And I love having that fixed time because I have an alarm on my watch and it goes off and I call my sponsor and that's it. There's no question about it. If I had a, a oh, call me whenever you want, it would be a long time between calls. <laughs> so... Um, I mean, he's willing to take a call at any time, and I do occasionally call him outside of those three times. It's amazing. So, um, so I'd say that that part of the telephone is working, but I don't make a lot of other phone calls. Um, 
the, the, I, don't, I don't tend to study literature very much, but one of my three meetings is a big book study meeting, so I get a very, very intensive big book study there. By the way, I would recommend OAPP, OA Primary Purpose. I don't know if you have any meetings in this area. I love the OA Primary Purpose meeting I go to. It, it goes through the big book line by line. and has questions for each line. It has a lot of interesting comments in the guide, and, um, and I can talk about that because it's a program. Um, so that, that's what's working for me there. Um, prayer and meditation work, um, meetings work. Uh, like I said, you know, going to a meeting a day was what started the soul abstinence off. Um, so I like all that. I don't do much writing. Um, when, when, I, when, I was, had, when I had my first sponsor, he was after me to write the fourth step for months. And finally what he did was he said, be ready an hour early, I'll pick you up and take you to the meeting. So he picked me up, took me to the meeting, we sat in front of the meeting. He handed me a notebook and a pen and told me to start writing my fourth step. <laughs> well, the reason I hadn't been writing my fourth step is because I had these deep, dark secrets I didn't want to tell anybody about. And if I wrote them down, I'd have to tell somebody about them. So I actually told him the deep, dark secrets. So I did a simultaneous fourth and fifth step there in the car with him just before the meeting. And he didn't kick me out of the car. He just shared some similar things in his life. You know, it was, it was perfectly fine. All the fears that I had about, you know, sharing these deep, dark secrets were for nothing. So um, I don't use writing very well, uh, other than when I have to do an inventory, that kind of thing. Uh, the 10th the step, I do, I do kind of do inventory, but I take the 10th step to be, to do it constantly throughout the day and to make an amends as soon as I can after I've, I've uh, done something, I've had some reaction, so. Yes. Um, do you still get urges to overeat, and if so, how do you deal with them? Yes. Um, it's um, how do I deal with them? Well, I um, I go to meetings. I call my sponsor. I am truthful about the food that I do eat. You know, if I've overeaten during a given day, you know, with counting calories, what I have is kind of a goal number that I'm going to for counting calories. And then I have kind of a, a, a warning track range above that goal number that if I'm in that warning track range, you know, danger, danger, you know, you might hit the wall. And then I kind of have an upper limit that if I go above that, I have to say that I've broken my abstinence. Now, I've never gone above that limit during my uh, nine years here. But during those periods when I wasn't religiously recording and, and measuring everything, I probably did go above that limit but I wasn't measuring it, so I couldn't report that I went over the limit. So, you know, that's the imperfect abstinence I have. The thing I have to really remember is that um, I didn't think I was a perfectionist because my mother was a perfectionist. She had perfect handwriting. You know, she kept a perfect house. Whenever she, whatever she cleaned, it was perfect. And I wasn't anything like my mother. So, but I was the perfectionist that if I can't do it perfectly, I don't do it at all. So my apartment was always a complete disaster. I never cleaned my apartment. That, that's the kind of perfectionist I was. And, and I have to recover from perfectionism. I cannot be perfect with food the way that, I, that you can be perfect with alcohol and have zero alcohol. Food is just, as far as I'm concerned, I have to recover from perfectionism with the food and allow myself to be imperfectly abstinent. So that's what I consider myself to be, really, imperfectly abstinent for the past nine years. But I was saying, in the moment when you're having an urge to overeat, how do you deal with that? Uh, sometimes I overeat a little bit. And sometimes I pray and I meditate. And sometimes I make a phone call. That's rare, but sometimes I've done that. Um, if, if I know in advance I'm going to a party where there's going to be a big uh, the display of food out for free, 
I do call my sponsor and talk about that and set a parameter of how I'm going to do that. So I, I have a premonition that I'm going to have an urge to eat at that party. And, um, and so I try to do that in advance if I can. Praying and meditating and then just do the best I can and, and accept imperfection. Yes. Thank you so much for the share. <clears throat> just want to note I understood something great. You no longer feel specific foods for your craving as long as you measure the calories you're fine with any kind of food. Yes, yes. I, in fact, I, I, I've never had that kind of an abstinence. I never had a, a don't eat the five C's, you know, cookies, candy, cake, ice cream, chocolate. Um, I've always allowed those in as long as I count up the calories in my in my food plan. So uh, I'm unusual. You know, this is not the normal. This is not the normal recovery in this program, and and that's fine. I'm glad. I'm grateful that you guys have the absence that works for you, and I'm grateful that I have the absence that works for me. Yeah, don't don't take my example to go out and try those things. <laughs> that's not my purpose up here. Any other questions? Yes. Um, I, I probably shouldn't talk about that, right? <laughs> part of anonymity. So let me elaborate Well, she doesn't take my inventory about food. She's learned to not do that. Um, but she can she can take my inventory just as much as I can take her inventory. You know, I can point out any mistakes that she made. She can point out mistakes I've made. You know, I, I can get upset about what she does. She can get upset about what I do. So, you know, that's, that's part of living. It's, it's life. You know, the relationships are the ultimate imperfection. You know, in terms of a, a living with imperfection, I have to live with imperfection there. So, but, you know, overall, she is extremely supportive. She's never, she's never asked me to not go to a meeting. She's always been supportive of me going to meetings or working the program, doing whatever I have to do, you know, going to retreats, going to conventions. Um, she's 100% supportive of whatever I have to do.